Okay, <clears throat> we are very close to Hanukkah, and therefore <clears throat> I'd like to talk about Hanukkah and really give you an explanation which most people have never heard of before. Now, we all know the story, obviously, of the uh, Syrian Greeks attacking the uh, Beis Hamikdash, the temple, and of course there arose Matisio Kohen Gadol, and he fought them together with his sons, and of course ultimately they won, which was itself an incredible miracle. And uh, therefore they came to the Beis Hamikdash, and they found that there was only one vial of oil which had not been contaminated, Tumah, and they lit it, and it lit for eight days. Uh, and, of course, Chazal decided that this uh, occasion would become a holiday, a Yom Tov that would be celebrated until the end of time, basically until the Mashiach comes. So we all know the story, you know, but when you really think about it, that's not the real story, as I will show you. Uh, so therefore, the first question that I would like to ask is, what is the essence of Hanukkah? You know, now there are two major miracles that happened, if you think about it. One is that the Jews were victorious against the Greeks. And the Syrian Greeks... They had a tremendous army. They had over 125,000 battle-hardened soldiers. And maybe there were 10,000 Jews. So that itself is a miracle that such a small number of Jews vanquished such a large number of real, real uh, combat soldiers. And the second ness, <clears throat> which you recognize, is the ness of, of course, the nearest that one vial of oil that's supposed to burn for one day, it burned for eight days. You know, but as, as uh, obvious as that is, there is a question, which is the main miracle? Because when you think about it, they were both miracles. The war was one, and like I said, the burning of a candle, of a, a, or a nair oil for eight days. So which is it? Which is the main miracle? That is the question. And it's hard to say that they're both the main miracle. Now, the next idea is also a problem, you see. Uh, why did Chazal make this a holiday? The Jews had been saved and delivered from persecution and so on many times. So why did they make this a holiday? What guides them into knowing when to make this a holiday? You see. Now, the real miracle which we begin to understand was the war. Because that's what they fought for. They fought against the Greeks to restore the Beis Hamikdash, the temple. And they won. Why did the nearest happen? In fact, what's interesting is that three years after they won the battle, that's when the near, uh, when the near happened. 
So the question is, what is the nair burning? What does that miracle have to do with the war itself? You see. And we have the concept that there are eight of them. Why are there eight Hanukkah lights? Is there something more profound than just the, you know, the fact that there eight, uh, took eight days to, until they got new pure oil, you see. So when you really think about it, there's really a lot of questions that one can ask about Hanukkah. So, there, so that's the, uh, the idea. What is the real essence of Hanukkah? <clears throat> so what I'm going to tell you is something which is really a fundamental principle of every Jewish holiday. The Jewish people are assigned a task, and that is to bring a tikkun, to rectify, to correct some spiritual defect or a spiritual necessity in creation. And the usual way they do that is what is called an event. So the event itself sets up the Jew, okay, it provides a test, and if the Jew is successful, then the tikkun is complete. They will have accomplished a the spiritual task that they are assigned, you see. So that is called the tikkun event, but it's called the primary tikkun event. That is called the, the event which is primary, which is the most important but what happens if the Jews don't do that? What happens if the task that they are assigned in order to, you know, uh, fulfill the spiritual event, what happens if they don't do it? So what God does, which is interesting, is he sets up a second event that in some way will allow the Jews a second chance. And therefore, that second event we can call the secondary Tikkun event. That's a very important principle in history, you see. The primary event and the secondary event. Now, when we take a look at Hanukkah, what's interesting is we will realize that Hanukkah was a setup. That means it really was a secondary event uh, that in some way had to undo or make up for the failure in a previous event of some type of spiritual necessity. <clears throat> Once you understand the principle, the concept of a secondary event, then you can begin to understand what Hanukkah is all about. You see. So therefore what we must do is identify the primary event. What was the event that the Jews were supposed to have done they failed. And therefore God set up an entire historical event so that they should be able to do it again and succeed. And this becomes the real understanding of God. So, in order to understand what the primary event was, there are certain ideas you must know. Please mute yourself. Yes, yeah, somebody has to mute themselves. Okay. First idea. <clears throat> it says in the beginning of Breshit, right? It says there that, It was evening and morning one day. Now, it doesn't say the first day. That is called a 
uh, ordinal number where you have one first, second, third, fourth, and so on. All the other days it says the ordinal numbers, which is Yom Shemi, the second day, third day, fourth day, and so on. But on the first day, it doesn't say Yom Rishon, it says Yom Echod. And Yom Echod means one day. It doesn't mean the first day, it means one day. So the question is, what does that mean? Uh, so Rashi says, because on that day, Yom Echod, one day, it doesn't mean one day, it means Yom Shel Echod, the day of the one. Because on that day, the only being that existed was God. Angels were created on the second day. Therefore, Yom Echod means Yom, the day Echod of the one, who was God. Because on that day, he was the only one that really existed, the only being with consciousness, so to speak, that existed. So therefore, it says Yom Echod, the day of the one. But if you want to think about it, there could be another reason why. Because on that day, even though God created many things, you saw the connection between God and everything he made. You saw the connection. And you saw that everything emanates from God. You see. So even though there were many things that God created, but you saw that it all emerges emanates from God himself. So therefore, even though there was a plurality of many things, since everything was connected to God, the one, so it's Yom Echod, the day of one, you see. So it was the day of the one because everything emanates from God, you see. Now that is a very interesting concept, the concept that everything emanates from God. Now we don't really know exactly how that works, Ultimately, that will be revealed. And that is really called the Orhagonos, the hidden light. Or it's called the Orishon, the first light. That is really something that we will all experience, hopefully very shortly. You see, this concept where everything emanates from God, and you realize that there is nothing else but God, and everything completely flows from him, is what's called a messianic light. That is the all Mashiach, you see. See, what you realize is something very important. What God introduced when he created the world is the concept of Hester, concealment. And the concealment that God introduced takes place through the idea called Pirud, separation. So on the first day, there was no period. There was no separation. And therefore, there was no hester. There was no concealment. It was all revealed. It was all exposed, you see. And that really is the messianic light. That is what everybody sees. Because in the end of time, what God reveals is that everything is really connected to him. That's the revelation, which means that there's no period, there's no separation anymore. We will see everything, how it all emerges from God himself. The achdut, the ultimate unity of creation. Now, when we get to see that, and the answer is, that is the messianic light, you see. 
And that's what it means that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. What does that mean? That's a famous posik in the Novi. You know, that the world will be mola or deo, will be filled with the knowledge of God. Uh, you mean there's no other knowledge? And the answer is no. Because on that day when the Mashiach comes, and I mean the Mashiach bin Yosef, by the way, then there will only be the knowledge of God because everything else is connected to God. So in a certain sense, once we see God is connection to everything else, then the knowledge of the Messianic era will be the knowledge of God. And it is through the knowledge that everything emerges from God, right, that everything will be seen. So ultimately, that's all you need. All you need is God to reveal himself and to show how everything emanates from him. That is the messianic light of which we have absolutely no comprehension of what that will be like, you see. But it will happen. Now, how do we know it's the messianic light, right? We do know that this was the light. Light, by the way, means understanding or perception. You know, like when somebody says to you, do you see the light? It doesn't mean light. It means, do you see the understanding, the insight, and so on. Now, how do we know that this is the messianic light? Mashiach ben Yosef. And the answer to that is take a look at the end of the Torah. When Moshe Rabbeinu is blessing the Jews, he says, Shoroi, he's blessing Yosef, Shevet Yosef, the tribe of Joseph. Bechor means the firstborn of his ox. Because the, the sign of Yosef is an ox. So the firstborn of this ox, Hodoloi, beauty is his. You see? V'kani re'em. And the horns of the re'em, right? V'kani re'em is his crown of. What's the kani of re'em? You see, now we would expect that, that if this is an ox, then the horns of this ox should be very strong, short, stout, strong. But the horns on this ox is not the horns of an ox. It was the horns of an animal called the re'em. It's basically a mythical animal that we do not know really what it was. But apparently the horns of the re'em were horns that in certain ways looked like, you ever see an antelope or a, a goat? Some of its horns are magnificent, the way it comes out of his head. It's beautiful to look at. You know, it's not a short horn. It's horns that are beautiful to look at, you see. So the horns of this ox, which is the firstborn of the ox, Yosef, beautiful is his horns. And then it says in the Pasuk, right, the Kani Re'em Kaunov, and the horns of the Re'em is his horns, right? Ubahem, and with these horns, Amim Yenagach, he will go to the nations. That's the bracha that, that Moshe Rabbeinu gave Yosef. <clears throat> now, so therefore we have to understand that. What do you mean the horns of this Re'em? He will go to the nations. Because really what Moshe was saying is an allegory. It's a metaphor. 
What does that mean? Here's the metaphor. Metaphor is something which really reveals something else. It's like a code that stands for something else. So let's take a look at the code. Bechor Shoroi, the firstborn of his ox. Who is that? That is the Moshiach bin Yosef. Because he's the firstborn of Yosef. He's the greatest neshama of Yosef. And he is called Bechor Shoroi, the firstborn of his ox. Okay, so that's Mashiach bin Yosef. <clears throat> okay, so Bechor Hodeloi. This Mashiach bin Yosef is beautiful to look at, right? What's the beauty that Kani Re'em Karnov? What's beautiful about the Mashiach bin Yosef is that his horns, right, are the horns of a Re'em. What is that supposed to mean? What it means is not that Mashiach bin Yosef has horns. What it means, therefore, the whole concept of horns is a metaphor. Because what are the horns? The horns emanate from the head of the ox or the ra'im. Not only does it emanate from the head, right? But it is used as weapons, right? So that's what he means, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, that the horns or the weapons of Mashiach Bon Yosef emanate from his head. You see, what weapons emanate from somebody's head? And the answer is, chokhmah, wisdom. What wisdom is that? That is the wisdom of the Orishan. You see? <clears throat> but it's beautiful. What is beauty, really? What's the definition of beauty? The definition of beauty is when many things which look separate, fragmented, are really tied as one unit. <clears throat> it's a harmony, it's a blend, where everything is together, even though they look like many fragments. That's what beauty is. <clears throat> as an example, what is beauty in music, for instance? Well, if you listen to, let's say, one of Beethoven's symphonies, it's beautiful. What does that mean? Because a symphony is nothing more than a bunch of new musical notes. It's sound frequencies. And there are hundreds of them in a symphony. So each one in and of itself is one note or one sound frequency. But when you put them together in a certain way, a melody, you see, <clears throat> a harmony, a counterpoint, and you put it together in a certain arrangement, it's beautiful to listen to. That's beautiful. That's beauty. Well, all of the <clears throat> sound frequencies blend. See, that's beauty in music. For instance, another kind of beauty, for instance, is, let's say, in paintings. You know, a painting consists of many, many different elements. You know, it has color, it has form, shade, all kinds of things. And somehow, when you see them all together... It's a painting. So a painting is beautiful because it unites and combines many, many different elements. That's what beauty is, you see. Uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous harmonious blend where everything fits exactly. Everything's connected. That's what the Orishan is. The Orishan is a chokhmah. It's an unbelievable wisdom 
insight where everything connects, uh, which is what I explained. The oration is really the Yom Echad. It's one day where everything emanates from God, you see. And therefore, that concept or that insight, that revelation is the Or Mashiach. And that's what Mashiach Ben Yosef will reveal. And in many ways, that is exactly, really, what his task is. Good. So we now understand the concept of the Orishan. Now, let's move forward and now take a look at what is the historical event that went what's called awry. It went off, went wrong. And the answer to that is Matan Torah. What happened at Matan Torah? Well, the Jews accepted the oral law. Right? They accepted the written law. And then they accepted the oral law. But what happened was something strange. You see, even though they accepted the oral law, Moshe Rabbeinu did not come down. And many of them, the Erev whatever, uh, decided to build a physical representation of God. And that was a golden calf. The Egel. The Egel Azov. But wait a minute. You can't build an Egel Azov because God cannot be represented by any physical object. You see, that's how Voidizora starts. But God is beyond physical. So how can he be represented by any physical object? You see. What does that mean? That's really the Orishan. You see, the Orishan is that God is not physical and nothing physical could represent him. You see, because God is the source. He's the ultimate idea behind everything. <clears throat> what is that idea? That is the Orishan. So what happened was, is when the Jews made the Egel, the golden calf, somehow that was a rejection of the Orishon, of that concept that you cannot have a physical entity representing God. Because not only that God is not physical, right, but he is the root of everything. So therefore, they created a pagam, a defect. And you see, so they should have been makabal, the Tershabakzav, which they were, the Tershabapeh, which they were, but they were never really makabal, the Opnime, which is really the Orishan. That God himself is the root of everything and cannot be represented not only by a physical object, but by any singular object. Therefore, they damaged the act of Kabbalah, of Kabbalah. They damaged the act of receiving and accepting that aspect of the Torah, that God is the root of everything, you see. And therefore, that needed a tikkun. <clears throat> that needed the Kabbalah of the Orishim, that God ultimately is the root of everything and all things emanate from God. That needed to be rectified. And if it was, then that would produce a tremendous 
spiritual uh, rectification, spiritual necessity, but they failed at Matan Torah, <clears throat> and that was very bad. So what does God do? So what God does is he has to give the Jews another occasion where they can again be tested and this time pass. And then they will have done a tikkun of the Egel Azov in that way. You see, they will have a tikkun by accepting the messianic light. And remember what it is, that the underlying root of everything is God. There is nothing else. And that would be the tikkun of that chet, which is a very important idea, you see. Now, <clears throat> there is a pasuk, okay, which is very important, in Bahaloischa, where it says, Aaron, that all the Nesim, all the heads of the tribes, brought korbonot, brought korbonus. But Aaron was not commanded <clears throat> to bring any korban. And he had what's called tremendous chalisha sadas, tremendous despair. Why? Because Aaron felt that the reason why God did not ask him to bring also a korban, because remember, he was the head of the Kohanim, was because Aaron is the one who contributed to the sin of the golden calf. You remember, he was the one who contributed to the sin of the calf. Uh, so he felt that the reason why God did not ask him to bring a korban, he wasn't commanded, because God had not forgiven him for his contribution to the sin of the golden calf. So God told him something very interesting. And this is what the Medr says. In fact, Rashi brings it down. That the mind of Aaron became tremendously depressed because of what I just said. That he thought God had not forgiven him. So God told him, um, I want to tell you something, Aaron. You see. And what he told him was very interesting. That in the end of time, the korbonus of the Beit HaMikdash, that all the, the Siam, the princes of the tribes brought, that someday will be gone because the Beit HaMikdash will be destroyed. But your candle, your lighting the menorah, which of course is the job of Aaron, that will go on till the end of time. Now, <clears throat> the Ramban asks, he says, wait a minute. Not only when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, so obviously there's no more Kobanis, there are no more sacrifices anymore, right? However, when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, well, guess what? Uh, there's no more lighting of the menorah, right? So that's also gone. So what does it mean that God told Aaron in order to lift his spirits, right, and to show him that God for, forgave him for his contribution to the golden calf, right? So what did God mean? That the act of lighting the candles will go on till the end of time. So the Ramban says something which is very important. He said what God said is that in the end, of course the menorah will be over because the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed. But what will happen is that in the future, right, there will be somebody called, right, Right? Right? Who is a coin god? He will again light the menorah. 
right? And that is the miracle of Hanukkah. In other words, the temple will be rededicated, and he will write menorah. But what's more important is the Hanukkah candles will be lit <clears throat> till the end of time. Not as a menorah in the Beis Amigdash, but as every Jew lighting Hanukkah lights. You see? So the Ramban says in this Midrash, where it says that Aaron lit the candles, and therefore he was pacified by God, is the hint of Hanukkah. You see, therefore, that hint of Hanukkah that God spoke to Aaron in lighting the, can- the menorah, the Beit HaMikdash, is the secret of Hanukkah. That's where you find the secret. How do we understand this? What does Hanukkah light that we light have to do with uh, the, uh, the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash and with the atikun of the Chetuegel, or a tikkun that there was a defect, the Pagam, in the Kabbalah of the Or Mashiach, or the Or Pnimi, you see? That is the question. <clears throat> Here's what happened. And then we will understand really what Hanukkah is. In the beginning of the Torah, in the beginning of the Torah, it says, and there was darkness on the face of the deep. It says, And the earth was unformed and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Midrash says that these four terms, unformed, void, empty, darkness, and the deep waters or the abyss, these four terms allude to the four kingdoms. What was that? The four exiles. Yes, these four terms refer to the four kingdoms in which will rule over the Jews. They are, as you say, the four exiles. Who are they? There's Babylon, right? Then there is Persia. Then there's Greece. And there's Rome. Now, <clears throat> Toyu refers to Babylon, Bovel. Voyu refers to Persia. You see. Choshech refers to Greece. And Tohoim refers to Rome. Now that's very difficult to understand. Why? <clears throat> because historians consider Greece the forerunner of modern civilization. Because under Aristotle and Alexander and Greek philosophy, Greek science, this was the change. This was a tremendous evolution of modern thinking, and it started with the Greeks. So how could Greece be called darkness? If anything, it should be light. And the idea to that is Greece is turned darkness. Why? Because the darkness of Greece is the exact opposite of the light of the first day. What does it say, right? 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 And it says, and it was morning and evening, evening and morning one day. What was that? And God saw, and he created light. And God saw that the light was good. Right? And then it says, and there was, uh, right? And there was more darkness and morning <clears throat> on that day. What does that mean? 
that means that the the light now became dark you see what does that mean that means that the darkness was the exact opposite of the light now we know the light was wasn't a, a physical light it was the origin it was the insight that everything is connected to God so therefore the darkness means that they also believe in the harmony of the Bria but it's not God it's physical nature it's nature things run by themselves by what's called physical laws therefore what Greece did Greece was a very interesting country you see <clears throat> what Greece held this is what they believed is that everything is organized everything does blend and is harmonious that is true you see but what the root of all things is not God it's not spiritual it is physical you see it's natural law science and so on and this is all illustrated by you know by uh, Aristotle and Pythagoras and so on uh, so what's interesting about Greece is that Greece also believes in an origin or rather they also believe in an internal structure you see but that internal structure is not spiritual it is the laws of science that's what Greece believes in you see now therefore remember so the philosophy of Greece is the exact opposite of the origin it is similar because they also believe that all nature is a harmonious blend it's all connected but the root of it is not or what connects it is not God or spirituality it is science it's the rules and laws of nature you see that's the Greek thought <clears throat> and therefore the Greeks believe in the supremacy of man not God and that's why they were tremendously into themselves you know physical prowess especially Sparta and so on you know that's why they had the Olympics and all that see they were very much into the human body because they believed man is the root of everything so what did God do what God did is very interesting he allowed a guy his name was Alexander the Great to conquer the entire world and to bring this philosophy of that everything is really one idea but it is physical not spiritual he allowed Alexander to conquer the entire world it was incredible the success of Alexander you see <clears throat> and he captured the entire world he went as far as India but he captured the entire Middle East you see and when he was 33 years old he died because his job was over in fact the teacher of Alexander was Aristotle the great Aristotle you see so what Alexander had accomplished is that he brought modern thinking the whole concept that the world is not fragmented into individual phenomenon phenomena but rather the world is really based on one idea called the laws of science he brought down to the entire Middle East and that's what God wanted and then they of course began to try to change the world so they introduced Greek thought and belief and philosophy and science throughout and one of the places now Alexander died right 
And there were four generals that took over his kingdom, you see. And the one who took over the Middle East, or Syria, was somebody called Antiochus, Epiphanes. He was a general under Alexander who took over one of the areas that Alexander had conquered, and that was the Middle East. That was Judea, you see. And therefore, to the form, he began to introduce the whole concept of Greece, Greek thought, and so on. He began to introduce that into Judea. And that became the battle of of Matisio and the Maccabees, right? And they fought that because there were many Jews that were beginning to think that way, you see, that the world is really connected, but from a physical standpoint, not spiritual. <clears throat> now, why did God do that? Because he now wanted to see, well, will the Jews be Mesonephesh? Will they sacrifice themselves, right, to fight for the belief of what? That the world is connected, but to God, everything emanates from God, you see? And that's the Orishim. So what God did, he purposely allowed the Greeks to spread their ideas to Judea, and therefore, will the Jews now fight for the belief of the Orishim, the belief of the Opnimei? That everything is really connected, but not as science would say, but rather as the Orishan, the Omashiach would say, that everything emanates from God. Therefore, the battle of the Greeks and the Jews was now a test for the Jews to see, would they again reassert their belief in, the, in this Opnimi, what's the real reality and guess what? They did. They fought the Greeks for many years, you see. <clears throat> and many of them died, and they fought. And as a result of that, they passed the test. They actually had been metaken. They rectified the default, the defect of the original Cheto Egel. You see, in other words, they declared that we believe and that really God runs the world, but not only runs the world, that everything emanates from him. So we now understand that Hanukkah was a setup that God purposely made, and that's why he had Alexander and the Greeks conquer the entire world, to bring that philosophy everywhere, and therefore to put the Jews to the test. Will they rectify this concept? And they did. That is the real concept of Hanukkah. The real war is not just a war physically, but it is a war of ideology. What do the Jews really believe? So by rejecting the Greek philosophy and even going to battle with them, they accepted the concept that behind everything is God, is a spiritual being, or rather God himself. Now, what is interesting is that at that point in time, the Jews did it, but they didn't really know what they had accomplished. I mean, they won a war, and then they rededicated the temple, you see, but they didn't realize the tremendous tikkun, the spiritual rectification that they had performed. 
So God said, I'm going to send them a message. I'm going to show them what they did. So what he did was amazing. He allowed the menorah. Now the menorah has seven, you know, seven different uh, uh, projections, lights. And that represents the Orishan, by the way. It is the Orishan of the seven days of creation. That's why there are seven uh, uh, candles and, or oil wicks and so on. And what he did is that he allowed the Jews to, he created a miracle in the menorah which represents the Orishim. Uh, so they only had one vial, but he let it burn for, for eight days, which is another seven. And therefore the Jews, the rabbis realized what they did that by, by them fighting the Greeks, they had restored the Shefa, the enormous uh, holy influence of the Tikkun, of the creation, they had restored, you see. Because they saw that it wasn't just a miracle of the menorah, that the miracle of the menorah is the actual uh, instrument that represents the Orishim. So they realized that they had done a tikkun for the Orishim. Because instead of burning one day, it burnt seven. Or rather eight, which means seven more than one. You see, <clears throat> that's what they realized, what they did. So we now understand the connection between the menorah, right, and the war. The war was the mysterious nefesh. The war was the actual battle where they rejected Greek Greek. Greek philosophy and Greek thought, Greek science, you see. <clears throat> but the message to them, or what revealed to them the spiritual uh, tikkun of what they did was the menorah. And that was critical for them to realize what they did. Therefore, if that's the case, they realized that they brought down a new light, a new ore into creation, which is a spiritual necessity which is the Kabbalah, the receiving of the Orishim. So they realize that since it's a new or, and not a reinforcement of a previous or, spiritual uh, task, therefore this has to be a holiday, you see. <clears throat> so therefore we now understand what God told Aaron, that you helped extinguish, right, through the Cheto Ego, the Tikkun, of receiving the messianic light, but your descendant, Matesioi Kohen Godel, right? He will again light, ignite the the fire. He will ignite the Orishan because he and his sons will fight, and the Jewish people will fight against the Greeks. And therefore, Aaron was therefore pacified, you see, because he realized that he will act, one of his descendants will actually correct the mistake that he did, you see? And therefore he was pacified. And that is the connection, you see? Because he realized that by doing the Cheta Ego, or contributing to it, right, he had not only uh, disabled an attempt by Moshe Rabbeinu to be, to be Mashiach Ben Yosef, he had ruined a a messianic opportunity, but he also created a tremendous pagam in the Orishan itself, you see. And therefore, he was 
tremendously overjoyed to realize that his descendant, not the Shiloh, the Kohen Gadol, which of course are the Kohanim, that they will, they will rectify the actual tikkun of the reception of the Orishim. So now we understand exactly what Hanukkah is. Hanukkah was a secondary tikkun event where God allowed the Jews again to rectify a defective reception of the Orishim by the Matan Torah. You see. Now therefore, as a result of that, really what should have happened is that the Mashiach Ben Yosef should have come. Because once they had rectified that, therefore the Mashiach Ben Yosef could have come. So then why didn't he? And the answer is because of a sin that was committed by the Hashem by his very descendants. What was that sin? Because we know that the only ones who really can rule, right, is Yehuda. Yehuda. Which means the only one who has a right to rule over the Jews, right, is a Davidic Messiah. Mm-hmm. Not Hashmanoim. Hashmanoim are Kohanim. Kohanim cannot rule. Now, as long as they were fighting the Greeks, the Hashmanoim were Kohanim, fine. But once they won and they rededicated the temple, right, uh, then they should have got off the throne and appointed a Nasi who was from the house of David, the house of David. But they didn't do that, you see. Uh, the Hashmanoim remained as rulers of the Jewish people. And therefore, they, they spoiled, they ruined the opportunity for the Mashiach to come. You see, and therefore, ultimately, what happened was, Herod killed the last of the Hashmanoim. Ultimately, every one of them died, and that was the great sin of the Hashmanoim. And now we understand something very important. Why isn't there a Mesech the Hanukkah? You know, if you look at the Mishnayot, there are 63 tractates in the Talmud. 63 tractates, Masech Tot, right, in the Gemara. <clears throat> Every holiday has a tractate. Psachim, Rosh Hashanah, Shabbos, you know, uh, or every one of them. The only one, uh, Purim, Megillah, Masech Megillah. The only one that doesn't have one is Hanukkah. There is no such thing as Masech Hanukkah. And the laws of Hanukkah are really separate or rather, they're spread out to the other Masechtas. Uh, so the question is, why didn't Rebbe, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, make a Masechta Hanukkah? And the answer is, the Gemara says, because he was very angry at the Hashmanoim, you see, because they did not give the Nasius, they did not give the rulership to the house of David. So he said, I do not want to make a Masech of Hanukkah in order to, you know, uh, mention or commemorate their name. Now, we think, well, maybe he was angry because Rebbe was from the house of David, David. Mm-hmm. And therefore, he was angry. It was a personal slight to his honor. And the answer is no. Because, like I said, when the Hashemunim refused to get off the house of the, the uh, uh, ruling Israel, what they did is they did not allow the real Mashiach to come. So therefore, 
uh, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi said that they do not deserve to have a Masechta of Hanukkah, you see. And that's what happened. And what is also interesting is that God gave them a certain amount of time to get off the throne and really for the Mashiach to appear. But they didn't. So if you remember your ancient history, Rome had three wars with Carthage. Carthage was the ruling, was a tremendous power. They were the rivals of Rome in Italy, of, of the, Roman, the Roman Empire. They had Carthage, which was, in, I think, Tunisia, North Africa. And there were three wars to determine who would be the leader. They're called the Punic Wars. Now, the miracle of Hanukkah happened approximately 163 BCE, you see. And the last Punic War, there were three of them, between Carthage and Rome, happened in 148. So what is interesting is because the Hashmanoim didn't get off the throne, and therefore the Mashiach could not come, because remember they had done a tikkun for the origin, therefore God gave victory to Rome in 148 BCE, that was the Third Punic War, where they destroyed Carthage, literally, they destroyed it, and that was Rome, Edoim, that was destined to destroy the Besamikdash. But since you did not give, right, the Besamikdash and the Meshichus to, to uh, the house of David, David, therefore God allowed Rome to become great, and ultimately they would destroy the Besamikdash, which of course is the entire rulership of Israel over, uh, of, uh, over the, the land of Israel. You see, so that's an actual historical event that I believe happened because of the chet of the Hashemunoyim. What's also interesting, we see this uh, because if you take a look at the dreidel, well, first of all, the or in the Torah and Breshit, Breshit's Borolakim, or is the 25th word in the Torah. And we know Hanukkah's Chofei, right, the 25th day of of uh, Kislev and the word or is the 25th word in the Torah which is interesting also when the Jews encamped 42 times the 25th encampment is named Hashmoino which is interesting and also Hashmonoim if you look at the letters of that word it's Shemen Echad Chesyoim one vial right eight days that's actually in the word Hashmanoim. You see, <clears throat> and what's even more interesting is the four letters on the dreidel, right? Is Nun Gimel Heishin, which stands for Nes Godel Hoyasham. A great miracle happened there. Mm-hmm. Now, the Gematri of Nun Gimel Heishin, right, is 358 which is the exact gematria of Moshiach. Now, it's interesting, I, I once gave this year, and somebody said, but in Israel, they don't have Nes Godel Hoyasham, they have Nes Godel Hoyapoi, right? Which means a great miracle happened here, because they're in Israel. So that doesn't add up to Moshiach. So he asked me, how do I explain that? So I was able to answer him, God gave me the answer right on the spot. And I said, well, 
Nun Gimel Hei Pei is Gematria 138. And 138 is Gematria Tzemach, the outgrowth. That's Mashiach. Es Tzemach David. Right? Es Tzemach David, the uh, offshoot of David. Right? And that refers to Mashiach when you're safe. So Tzemach is another name of Mashiach. And that is the Gematria of Nun Gimel Hei Pei, Nes Godel Hoyapoi. I found that to be very, very interesting. Anyway, so we now understand all these things. We understand the essence of Hanukkah, which is, right, that it was a secondary Tikkun event that allowed the Jews to accept the Orishan, the Messianic light. Uh, you see, we now understand that the, the real miracle was the war, but the, what conveyed, communicated to the Jews the meaning of what they had accomplished was the Nair, was the Menorah. Uh, you see, now there are eight lights. So Kabbalistically, eight lights, the eight Olam Habo begins on the eighth day, and therefore there are eight lights. And also, uh, the, uh, it's supposed to be Hidur, which means that each light is supposed to be Mohuda, beautiful. And the reason for that is, because the Orishan is beautiful. Like I said, so therefore the lights have to be beautiful, you see. <clears throat> and also, you can't use them, you can only look at them. We say that in Haneah Why? Because the light represents insight, wisdom. And wisdom you look at, but you don't use it. Because these lights of a Hanukkah menorah, they represent the Orishan, you see. Uh, so, when you will light the Hanukkah lights and you will look at them, right, for a half hour, you will be looking at the Orishan, uh, <clears throat> the actual messianic light that will shine someday, hopefully very near in the future. So, therefore, we now understand what Hanukkah is. It is the holiday of the Mashiach. That's really what it is, you see. <clears throat> It is the holiday of the messianic light that the Jews rectified more than 2,000 years ago. But we continue to light the menorah because what we show is that we believe <clears throat> in the belief of the Orishan. And that belief is that the root of everything is God, you see. And that is the Orishan which we someday are going to see when it says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. Why? Because that is all knowledge. Because then we will see how everything emanates or emerges from that light. That is what Hanukkah is really all about. It is a messianic holiday that represents the Orishan. Very powerful. Very powerful. Okay. Any questions? Well, one thing, Rabbi, the dreidel, the it also spells Goshna, like Goshen with the hay. And Yaakov yes. Avinu, I, I learned, was hinting that the only way that you could um, really uh, follow the way of Hashem is with Torah. That's why he told you, Huda, go set up your yeshivot there before the people came, before yes. the family came. And I took a class that said something that uh, it was a hint with the dreidel was really about learning Torah. 
those letters. Okay, that's, that's nice. It certainly could, it certainly is a nice remnant. Mm-hmm. You know. No, that's what I learned. And now, what do you think about the Zaitola? What was he that? Died. The guy from what? Iran, the leader, died. Which leader? Ayatollah Khomeini. It's not confirmed. Where did you hear that he died? I kept it's not confirmed. Yesterday. So what it's is not it? confirmed. They're, they're speculating that the Ayatollah has passed away. A week Why? Ago, he, What's it based on? A week ago, a week ago he gave his, um, his seat up to his son due to health concerns. And then yesterday they had... They claimed that there was intel that he had passed away, but nothing was confirmed. So we—it's not—I don't—it's not for sure. Boy, would that be something, huh? Yeah, and there's huge flooding in Iran, Rabbi. It looks like the Mabul is all up in Iran. It's crazy. Why is there flooding? Rain? rain, excess rain, and they have no irrigation system. So it's just, like, piling up. It looks like the ocean in the streets. Really? In which city? Water? Tehran? I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly, but I was looking at videos. It was crazy. But that's amazing that you you think that, uh, although it's not confirmed, is that the Ayatollah Khomeini died. Yeah. Well, the fact that he gave up the seat means something happened. Yes, definitely. Power. That's interesting. Wow. Really? What so a where blow. Where is this Mashiach ready? He's really bothering me. Why can't he just come already? You're right. We've got to tell him that Rachel is bothered. <laughs> I, I'll tell him myself. Okay. If I knew who he was, I'd give him ways and a smartphone to get here. Uh-oh. And now I know why he's not coming. <laughs> He's um, afraid of Rachel. What? Rabbi, I have a question. So, um, during the times of the when the Hashmonaim and the Kohanim they didn't give up the the seat to um, the kingdom. Yeah. Yes. None of them had nevuah that that if they did that, Mashiach would come. <clears throat> well, you know, power is power. Look, you have to remember the Hashmonoim, as time went on, they get very, very bad. The original Hashmonoim, which is Matasyohu and um, Yehuda Maccabi, they were tzaddikim. But they were involved in the war itself. But the question is after the war. Remember, the war took a long time to finish. You know, three years after the war started, that's when you had the miracle of the Hanukkah lights. But the war dragged on for many years until they finally got rid of everybody until they got rid of all the Greeks so by the time that happened the Hashemnoim who inherited there's a whole bunch of guys if you read Jewish history Aristobulus and all these guys you know they were Rishoyim they did not want to give it up they couldn't care less what the rabbis were telling them you see so it's only in the beginning that the Hashemnoim went Tzadikim but as time went on, they were terrible. Even if they were Kohanim? Uh, yeah, even if they were Kohanim. They exactly. were practicing in the Beit HaMikdash? Yes. Yeah. Sure. 
because the Beis HaMikdash continued, right? It was rededicated, right? In 163 BCE, before Common Era, and it was destroyed, we know, in 70 CE by the Romans. So it went on for at least another, what, another 230 years or whatever, you know? So now, at, in the Menorah, when we're, when, we're do, when we're lighting the candles, what do you recommend us um, to do, to, to say, to, you know, our mind? Well, I think the, the main Kavanah is that we pray that the Mashiach should come and that the entire world should see the Giloi, the revelation of the Orishan. And the essential idea is Eneid Movadoi. That's what the Orishan is, that besides God, he is the only one that really is, like I said, Yom Echod. The concept of Yom Echod is the concept of the O Mashiach. And like I say, Bohem Amim Yenagach, he will go the nations with his Chochmah, you see, and they will realize that everything that they thought, you know, that there's a whole physics and it's all natural law, all of this was wrong. So when you light the Hanukkah menorah, what you're really thinking of, right, is the Orishan, that we believe that God is the essence and the ultimate root of everything. You see, it's an emunah about the whole concept of Mashiach and what he will reveal. You see. Rabbi, I learned that when you light the candles, not only does Hashem come down to your home with the Malachim, but that your grandparents, great-grandparents, all the way down to Adam Harishon, all the Neshamot come down to your home when you light the candles. You talk about Hanukkah or Shabbos? Hanukkah. Okay. Yeah. Well, what do you know about Shabbos? What happens on Shabbos? Well, Shabbos is another concept. Why the Malachim come by Shabbos? That's a whole sheer. Everybody should give that. And we should do that. I would love to hear that. Yeah, what the real, the whole, uh, what Shabbos really is. Most people have no idea. It's amazing how a guy can go through Shabbos his whole life and never really know the pnimiyut of Shabbat and why the Malachim come. Yeah, maybe I should give it next week. Yes. Yes. Yeah, since we're talking about candles and lights, maybe that would be appropriate. How's that sound? That's good. Rabbi, do you still have hope that Trump is going to win? Yes. Well, he's still fighting. He is. You saw what happened this week, Rabbi? A lady from the senator was like, you know, they were in court. And a, a Senate lady, a senator, was saying, well, do you have any proof with her assistant? And then they found out she was being videoed. She was one of the people that threw everybody out of the room and took the luggage of ballots from under the table and was scanning it in the machine. She was doing the legal stuff herself. She's the judge? She was a senator who was um, at the hearing. And, Are you serious? Uh, Yes, it was Nesmin Shammai. Now she was like all flustered when they go, you need proof? They go, isn't this you? Wow, that's a felony. So crazy. What they did is a felony. Yep. And she's a senator? Exactly. 
No, it seems oh. they didn't know that the room had a surveillance. A video, yeah. So you're saying that and a her senator came out here? What? You're saying a senator was one of the people doing the counting? Yes, yes. That's how corrupt it was. Wow. But let's see. It, it was a state senator, not a senator. Is it a state, state senator. I see. State senator. So what? It's still a felony. Still a felony. felony, but her title is different. Sure. But he's still fighting. Yes, he he had a rally, and he said he's still going to fight. Yeah, why not? Yeah, they have proof. They have to get he it to the Supreme proof. Court. Well, the, one of the Supreme Court, the judge, uh, one of them in Atlanta, Georgia, said you could take the machines and investigate it and see what's going on. You have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, discrepancies that you could uh, now do your own forensics. Oh, yeah? Yep, so that's, the wheels are turning. Let's see the miracles of Hanukkah happen. That's right. We're getting close. Exactly. Rabbi, so right now, I feel like um, we're in a pause, like um, or in limbo. Like it's like Hashem deciding where we're gonna, where, what He's gonna do. Is that is that is that the right feeling of what's the now moment? No, God doesn't decide what to do. The the, no, the uh, process on is our actions, obviously. the the process is what's called kitrugim. Okay. There's a tremendous battle going on now in heaven <clears throat> where the Satan is trying to destroy <clears throat> the uh, Trump because he is of tremendous assistance to Israel. So he's trying to destroy him. And he's trying to, the way he tries is to through him, through prosecutions. That's his weapon. So there are tremendous amount, there's a tremendous battle going on in heaven now, you know, who is going to win the verdict? It's the same thing that went on by Kriyat Yamsuf when they crossed the Red Sea. Same thing. It was a tremendous battle where the Malachim said, you know, why should the Egyptians die? The Jews also worship idols. And so there's a tremendous battle being waged in heaven now. And uh, ultimately, uh, I, you know, I, I'm uh, very hopeful that uh, the battle will be where Trump will win and he will continue to change the Middle East and um, it'll just move forward that somehow the messianic light will come out shortly. Um, they were, which rabbi was it, Amy, that said that we have to come to Israel right away? Kanievsky's assistant or something. You mean because the Mashiach is right around the corner? Is that why? Yeah. And that Gogu Magog is going to happen. Well, okay. We don't know yet. We're hoping, you know. Look, this is a very good month. Do you feel that we're closer? Do you feel now more than like ever that we're closer? There's no question that we are closer. Because what we're witnessing now has never happened before. But whoever heard, you know, I, I heard the, whoever heard that a president of the United States is now condemning the uh, Democratic Party, 
know what I'm saying? Whoever heard of something like that? And the, the, the and the fact that they they hate him, it's it's just incredible to watch this kind of hatred. You know what I mean? This whole thing is like, you know, people walk around in a daze. Like, whatever happened to the United States? I mean, the United States has become a, rebana, a banana republic. You know, <clears throat> look, there are four things that they've damaged the Democratic Party. The first is that they've denied Trump a real presidency. The second thing is that they have disenfranchised 74 million people who voted for him. The third thing is that even Democrats, right, uh, have to be shocked at what the Democratic Party is doing. Not all the Democrats are corrupt. They have to be shocked in terms of what they're doing to the United States. I mean, the United States looks like a, you know, a third world country. They're doing the same things that many countries that Venezuela do. You know, and the fourth thing, which I hold also, is it's a terrible, uh, what do you call it? It's a terrible uh, stigma. Because the United States is really one of the few countries in the world that in a certain sense is honest and has integrity and has justice. So they, in certain ways, serve as a model. But when all of a sudden everybody's aware that there's an incredible corruption and scandal happening in the United States that never happened before like this, then that is a terrible signal to the world that the United States is no longer a model and the people don't have to look at the United States as some type of a model. But on the contrary, the United States has become as corrupt as Venezuela. And that is a terrible deed, you see. So these are four sins that the Democratic Party has done, you see. Look, I'm hopeful that the Democratic Party will lose, Trump will win, and then when he wins, he's going to go after every one of them, you see. I believe he's going to fire Barr, because Barr's doing nothing, and he's going to put in a, a whole different attorney general, and they're going to convict and go after every single person that was involved in the scandal of the election. Everyone, you see, because they have a Obama tremendous and conflict. Hillary. Oh, yes, yeah, certainly. Yes. Yeah. And he will spare no one. Ra- Rabbi, yeah. do you really think Rudy Giuliani has corona or he's uh, hiding from the deep state? No, no, no. He probably has corona. It's amazing. You know. So- I have two questions. One, so Hashem is still keeping Corona around because right now it's it's at the forefront, but it's really not what they just. Everyone right now feels like they're just using it against us. Um, what's more at the forefront right now is the vaccine that everyone doesn't want to take it, and basically the election. So why is Corona still lingering? Well, actually, uh, as soon as it comes out. And people start taking it, and people realize that it's safe. Then everybody will take it. But Rabbi, they're saying such horrible things about the side effects of this vaccine that it's not safe at all, and it doesn't even help. Who said it, that? It affects fertility with women. No, that but what? also 
they say that the vaccine, it, it lessens your symptoms, but it doesn't stop you from infecting others. Well, what does it do and to it the... doesn't stop you from getting again again. What, is it, what does it do to the virus? It just lessens your symptoms. But what, doesn't it kill the virus? It doesn't. It doesn't. Ki- it doesn't kill it where you can't infect infect someone. It kills it within you, you just to the way you're feeling. But then it still so infect other people. I, I don't know. See, I don't know what's real and what's uh, false. I don't know. Exactly. So is that the Or Hamashiach that's going to come and tell us everything? No, the Or Hamashiach is not related to that. Look, COVID has a spe- has had like a specific purpose. Go- but I, I believe the truth. The truth about everything. The truth. Well, that's certainly true. You know, that's certainly true. But uh, but I believe that COVID is on its way out. Because I believe no, ultimately. No, it's starting again. It's what? It, it there's a lot of cases in our community right now. Yes. Yeah, so what I mean is that uh, the vaccine will begin to put an end to the whole COVID. And I think that's really what everybody's waiting for, you know. I'm dreading it. I'm the opposite. I don't Rabbi, you would take this vaccine? Yeah, he said yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah, how long, how long can I hide in my house? I know, but <laughs> you, don't, you don't think that at least you're healthy than not knowing the effects of what really it is. I mean, the, Europe is already suing... Uh, the vaccine because of all the side effects that it has and how unhealthy it is. But they're, they're going after this vaccine, saying that it's not even healthy at all. Well, you have to remember there are many companies working on a vaccine. Besides Pfizer and uh, Moderna, Israel is now, I think, in, in phase one or phase two. Israel is coming out with a vaccine and Oxford also has come out with a vaccine, which is different. It works in a different way. It's a bunch of different vaccine, the one from England. <clears throat> They're almost finished with that. So therefore, one of the, I, believe, I, I believe that one of the vaccines has to work. How do you, how do you know which, which vaccine to go? That's... that's that's over, well, you, I, look, there's going to be a tremendous amount of uh, articles written about the vaccines, I can guarantee you. And how do you know which ones are real and which ones are fake? That's our problems right now. Yeah, how do you know what they're saying is true or not true? We, I, well, you don't know. I mean, uh, you know, ultimately, there will, peop- there will be people who are honest. You know, probably uh, there are people in the Jewish community, you know, that are honest. And they will... Uh, you can't trust anyone, Rabbi. This is all business. This is money. They're all looking for money. You're just a number to these people. They don't okay, care about look, your life or if you die. Well, okay, listen. You just have to, you know, see what happens. Can't answer now, but let it come out. And there's a lot of it that's going to come out. Right now there's, uh, what is it, uh, one, two, two are coming out. Oxford will come out soon. And you'll have Israel. You'll have many vaccines coming out. And there'll be a tremendous amount of literature written on which ones have side effects and so on. So at that point, you make a decision. That's all. You know what I mean? 
Okay, Rabbi, I have a question, a second question. Um, yeah. You said, that, you said that when the um, the messianic light does um, come out, the order yeah. Mashiach, then the Mashiach and David will be revealed. Yes. Okay, so what like what stage is that? Is that when he's actually known on the world stage? Is that like what is is that the beginning? Is when what is that? Uh, no, it's not the beginning. <clears throat> when he comes out, he begins to be revealed in in a sense that whatever he puts his hands on is successful. That's what indicates who he really is, that the man never fails. Everything he wants to do succeeds. And, you know, people will begin to realize, hey, this is really incredible. Whatever he does, he's successful. And people take notice of that. And as time goes on, right, it'll be not just he's successful, let's say more physical things, but all of a sudden he will be successful in what is called Ruch HaKodesh. He will be able to look at you and tell you everything about yourself. And ultimately speaking, he may even be able to, you know, uh, what do you call perform miracles. But whatever is planned, after a while, it becomes obvious of who this man is, because he never fails. And probably he will be an individual that can perform many, many Nisim miracles. You know, so we're not talking about, you know, a person who says he does, and he will have that koyach. Then ultimately, as I once said, you will have the base, the base of Mikdash. Look, a, a, great, a great deal of all this is hidden, how it will actually happen. But it has to happen soon, because we're looking at a complete turnover of the world, that takes a lot of time, you see. You, the world will not change in one year. It takes a long time, and God has to start the process sometime, and it has to be soon, you what know, you and I'm hoping that it's very soon. What was that? What, 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 what do you mean by a turnover? The world will be different in the era, even of Mashiach ben Yosef, because in his time, the Beit HaMikdash will be built. And that already has the divine presence. That has the Shekhinah, right? Then all the Jews will ultimately move to Israel. It'll be a different government altogether. You know, we, we cannot even imagine the, the tremendous Mahapecha, turnover, that this world will have in the time of even Mashiach ben Yosef. Forget about Mashiach ben David. That's a whole different reality. Because then you don't have any more death, nothing. The Satan is killed. That, the age of Mashiach and David, is something we, we cannot even imagine what that is. Because the nature is removed, is controverted. But even in the time of Mashiach and Yosef, you will see tremendous things. You see, so we, we don't know how they exactly will, will happen. But they have to begin soon. What was that? Just say like any month, a specific month that that they expect the Mashiach and Yosef to come. Like not in our year. I'm saying in general. Is there any hints as to a month? Well, the the, the general statement is that in Nisan, it says in Nisan they were redeemed, and in Nisan they will be redeemed. 
But that, that is probably referring to Mashiach ben David. Right. So it doesn't really say when Mashiach ben Yosef. Although I'll be honest with you, this month is a great candidate. Because the oration will be given by the Mashiach ben Yosef. And this month is a great uh, month, uh, Sigula, for him to come. Like, what do he could start, like, he'll start in the, like, you'll start seeing him in the news or something? Like, you'll start? Well, you know, again, it's hard to know exactly what will happen, because we've never seen anything like that. But remember, we are not talking here about a salvation, a Yeshua. We are talking about a redemption. Gula, a redemption is the end. That's an incredible turnover. That, that's a whole different understanding. Because redemption signifies the end of the world, you see. And a reintroduction to Adam Arishon before the sin. We have no idea what that is, you see. But the main thing is that it has to start... Few other rabbis are saying that 5782, Mashiach is going to come, Ben David. Well, uh, 5782 is Shemitah, Shvius. And it does say that the Mashiach comes by Mitzvah Shemitah, at the end of Shemitah. Really? Yeah. So it says that the Mashiach comes at the end of Shemitah. Which is not this year, it's next year. Next Rosh Hashanah. Year. Next year, Shemitah, yeah. We are in Erev Shemitah this year. So that next means year that Shemitah. Yosef will come this year and then David next year? That's right, that's quick. <clears throat> well, it could mean that he comes this year, but he is recognized as Mashiach next year. Because that takes time. The Mashiach will come, and we don't even know that he's Mashiach. As time goes on, it becomes apparent, obvious, that he is the Mashiach himself. Um, and that takes time. Do you think he knows? Do you think he knows Mashiach ben Yosef that he's the Ma- he's Mashiach ben Yosef by now? I would imagine he may suspect. He may suspect who he is. Because he may Rabbi. see things, he may see things brightening up in his future. Um, right. So how come how come a couple of rabbis are saying that he's in Israel now? But I thought he was in America. Who says they're right? Who says they're right? Right. How do they know? Did they talk to them? Correct. Nobody really knows where he is. Nobody really knows who he is. Although it's in, it seems indicative uh, that Reb Chaim Kanievsky says that he is here. Here where? He's here on the planet. America? Oh, in the um, planet. I'm, I'm asking about America. Well, no, no. He doesn't say where he is, but he says that, uh, he hears statements from him that he believes he is now alive. And he's now here. And it's only a matter of time until he reveals himself. Apparently, that's what he believes. To me, it sounds like he saw him. Uh, I remember, I read somewhere how um, there was a a rabbi who saw um, 
Mashiach in a different generation. I forgot which one. And the rabbi didn't stand up for him. And then the Mashiach got upset that the rabbi didn't know who he was. <coughs> yeah, they say that on uh, on Dovid They say that on Dovid Yes. His father came to him in a dream. Uh, no, his grandfather. I think the Baba Sali. Yes. Dovid Abuchatzera from Nahariya. Right. So his grandfather, I think it was the Baba Sali, said to or came to him in a dream. That's what I heard, and was very angry at him. He says, "I don't stand you." The Mashiach Ben Yosef came to you and you didn't stand up. Or Ben Yosef, I don't know which one. So, like, he was shocked. So, from now on, he gets, he stands up for every Jew that comes in to see him. Crazy. Wow. That, that's, that's what they say. Yeah. yeah. You know? Listen, a little, a little more, and that's it. The main thing is once it begins, it is unstoppable and irreversible. That's the critical factor. When does it begin? <clears throat> In other words, as long as, how long it takes, fine. So it'll take time to unfold, right? Just like the sun. The sun rises, right? But in the beginning, all you see is light, the dawn. Then all of a sudden you see the orb of the sun and even then you only see a little bit you know it takes time till it reaches high noon same thing with Mashiach but the critical thing is that it should finally end the night that's what we're waiting for when does the night end and the dawn begins that's what we're all waiting for because once the dawn begins it can never go back and the gula, the end will come. Okay? Thank you, Rabbi. Okay. Thank anyway, you, Rabbi. think about it. Have a great Hanukkah. Rabbi. Have a happy holiday. Do you people make latkes? Yes. Of course. I wasn't sure what Svaldom do. We eat a lot. You eat a lot, huh? Yeah. Okay. You know, dairy, we're going to eat the dairy, we're going to have the latkes, we're going to spin the dreidel and light the candles and sing songs. Oh, wow. Okay. On the light. Sounds great. Uh, yeah, it's too bad. If it wasn't for COVID, it would be nice to have a Hanukkah party. Oh, I would have loved we're that. We're having one. Yeah, what? That would be great, Rabbi. We're having one, Rabbi, on Thursday. You're invited. <laughs> well, like I say, if it wasn't for COVID, uh, it would be nice to have a Hanukkah party. Be'ezat Hashem next year, and even in bedtime. In Israel, Rabbi, in Israel, we'll all have spent Hanukkah together. Yes, that's right. By the way, Rabbi, just now in, in Tehran, they, uh, they put an Israeli flag with the words on a bridge in Tehran, thank you, Mossad. The people are thanking the Israelis for killing the guy, the scientist. I don't know. I don't think they would do that. But it's right here. It's posted up here. They're showing pictures of the bridge that said, thank you, Mossad. You mean because they think he killed uh, Khomeini? No, they think they killed that, that scientist. They, the uh, scientist. The bomb. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what nuclear they say. Scientist. Yeah, the nuclear one. Yeah, that was a real blow to Iran. A real yeah. blow. Good. Um, is, this we're, we're sitting quiet and Hashem's doing our battles for us. 
Exactly. That's exactly what's happening. Okay. Like we'll speak people. next week. Thank I'll see the show about yeah, Shabbat. Bye. Good night. Yes, Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye.